Good morning. Wow, it's great to be here. Jamie said, you know, this church is just full of wonderful people, most of them. Uh, and, and so uh, I am excited to have the next hour to talk about a great multi-level marketing opportunity that I bring you today <laughs> from Denver, Colorado, because uh, it's a chance to really prove capitalism works. No, it, it's great to be with you. I wasn't sure how many people would be here. Uh, my wife, Darla, is here. Hunter, as you know, his girlfriend Kaylee, his roommate Noah, and his flight students. I figure if nothing else, I'd have my own audience in about the fifth row. So I appreciate all of them for turning out today. It's, it's nice to see you. We've been here since Wednesday visiting with him, and, uh, and Darla and I really enjoy Pensacola. As a public service announcement, you have one more week to make reservations for Mother's Day. If you haven't, you're in big trouble. Uh, most restaurants are probably uh, filled up, so it might be Golden Corral, but you still need to uh, make sure you honor the moms because as you're about to hear in my uh, presentation today, uh, they are truly the kind of people I call, I call Freds. Uh, I do speak for a living, I, at least I did before COVID. COVID kind of slammed on the brakes for uh, meetings of all kinds, whether they were secular or spiritual. That's starting to come back a little bit, but for the past 37 years, I've done somewhere in excess of 3,000 3, presentations in the United States and 14 countries. And uh, I've, as you can imagine, had a lot of interesting experiences. For instance, I was in Santa Monica, California. I was having dinner at a little restaurant down by the shore. At the time, I was in a rental car, and as I'm walking out to my rental car, I was approached by a panhandler. Now, I apologize. I don't know what the politically correct phrase for these people is. Uh, economically disadvantaged, home challenged, but they're literally the people that stick out their hand and ask for money. Now, I know you think speakers make stuff up to get a laugh. I make nothing up because my life is weirder than my limited imagination. <laughs> this guy stuck out his hand. He said, hey, buddy, can you spare a hundred bucks? Now, I know it's California. The cost of living is higher there. I get that. I normally do not engage. I normally don't talk to these people, but this guy was good. One of the biggest skills in 2022 and beyond is the ability to break preoccupation, and he got my attention. I said, you know, buddy, if you'd asked for a dollar, I'd have given it to you. I wouldn't even thought about it. I like whoever that child is. I want to travel with me. They're laughing before the punchline. I love that. I said, if you'd have given me, uh, you know, asked for a dollar, I'd have given it to you. Wouldn't thought about it. If you asked for 10 bucks, I might have given it to you because you had the chutzpah to ask. But 100 bucks, come on, are you kidding me? And the guy gets really serious, a little irritable. He said, look, buddy, either give me the money or don't. Just don't tell me how to run my business. The reason I tell you that story today is I think most people today, when they think of God, they think about somebody in the sky telling them how to run their business. Nobody wants to be told how to run their business. And yet, if you are a believer, you know that the person who ultimately knows best how to run our businesses, our lives, our relationships is God. And the scripture I want to focus on today answers the question, what kind of life have we been called to lead? And it's John 10.10. 10. And I'm going to use the NIV translation. The more familiar translation in the New King James is, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The NIV version says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And the original Greek word basically talks about excess. It talks about overflowing. And if you look at what precedes that scripture, Christ referenced the Pharisees who he likened to, to thieves and to wolves that came to take from the people. And he said, I am the good shepherd. I have come to give. And that was a radical idea at the time that religion wouldn't be about taking from people, but giving to people. 
And whenever I think about what living an abundant life might look like, I'm, I'm reminded of a story of a person that I met many, many years ago. I'm just curious, by a show of hands, how many of you have read The Fred Factor, my book? And both of you. A lot of opportunity for market penetration here, Jamie, at, uh, at Grace Community Church. For, for years, I would remind audiences, all the proceeds from my books go to benefit children. Mine. So Hunter and Jack were very, very grateful if you did get the book. Um, I moved to Denver back in 1987. Uh, I was single at the time, living alone. In 1988, I bought my first house. If, if you're familiar with Denver, I bought a house in Washington Park, 677 South Williams. And I've lived in my, my new home all of about two days when there was a knock on the front door. I opened the front door and standing there was a relatively short fellow, probably 5'3", five, 5'4", five, weighed about 115 pounds, was wearing a blue-gray uniform and carrying a bag. And he said, good morning, Mr. Sanborn. My name is Fred. I'm your postal carrier. I just stopped by to say welcome to the neighborhood, introduce myself, and find out a little bit about you and what you do for a living. I've been receiving mail all of my adult life. I can't ever recall gaining a personal introduction to the postal carrier. But I thought it was a nice touch. I said, Fred, thanks for stopping by. I said, I am a professional speaker. I do not have a real job. Fred said, well, that's important for you to know. If you're a speaker, you must travel a lot. And back then, I traveled a lot, about 220 days a year on the road. And I told him that. And he said, if you'll just give me your calendar so that I know when you're in town. I'll hold your mail for you. I'll bundle it. I'll only deliver it on the days that you're here to receive it. Now, I'd never had a choice of a la carte mail service before either. I said, Fred, that, that's probably not necessary. I've got a pretty big box nailed right here on the side of the house. Why don't you just leave the mail in the box? I'll pick it up when I come back into town. Fred said, well, Mr. Sanborn, burglars watch for mail in the box. If your box is full of mail, they know you're gone. You might be robbed. He said, here's what I'd recommend instead. He said, I'll be glad to put mail in your box as long as the lid closes. That way, nobody will know that you're gone. Any mail that doesn't fit in your box, I can put in between the screen door and the front door. Nobody can see it there. And if that area becomes too full of mail, I'll hold the rest of your mail for you until you come back into town. Now, Fred is more worried about my mail than I am. But he is the postal professional. You know, whenever I speak to any audience, secular or, or, or spiritual, I always point out a professional is someone who's more worried about the solutions to your problems their product or service solves than you are. Professional educator, more worried about your kids learning than you are. Not because you're not involved, but because they're the pro. Professional health care worker, more worried about your health than you are. Uh, not because you shouldn't take responsibility for your health, but because they know more about how to maintain it and increase it. And Fred was a perfect example of a professional. I say, okay, Fred, I agree. Let's try that system. I go out of town for a couple weeks. I'm, I come back into town. As I'm unlocking my front door on my front porch, which is maybe a third the size of this riser. It was a little house. I notice my doormat is missing. And I look around, I see my doormats in the corner covering something. See, here's what had happened. UPS had misdelivered a box of mine five doors down, left my box on somebody else's porch. Lucky for me, Fred the postman was on the job. Fred saw my box on the wrong porch, picked up this heavy box, carried it down to my porch, put it in the corner, wrote a personal note of explanation on it, then tried to disguise it with a doormat so nobody would take it. Not only is Fred delivering the mail, now he's picking up slack for UPS. <laughs> the very first time I ever told this story, I was speaking in Los Angeles to a big bank. At the end of the speech, a guy comes up at the end of the speech. He said, hey, buddy, be honest. 
Were you talking about the United States Postal Service? Or does Denver have their own? Because, see, this is amazing service from an unlikely source. Make a mental note. I'll probably come back to it later. Nobody can prevent you from choosing to be extraordinary. Doesn't matter who you work for or what job you have. People say, you know, I need to get another job. Before you get another job, maybe you need to do the job you have differently. Because Fred is proof, no matter what the organization, how good or how bad, an individual can still make a difference. So, let's fast forward uh, to the first Christmas. I, I'm living in my house. After Christmas, mail uh, gets delivered, and I have a, I'd left a little gift in the box for Fred, you know, to kind of uh, thank him for his service, and so over the holidays, I left a gift. The next day that mail gets delivered, I have an unusual letter in my mail. See, the letter has a stamp on it, but the stamp's not canceled. And I see the return address. The letter is from Fred Shea. Now, that's his full name. Fred lives in Northland. I lived in Denver. Fred knows it's a felony to put unposted mail in a box. So even though he carried the letter from his house to my house, he still put a stamp on just to keep it legal. So after I cut the stamp off, <laughs> I read the letter. The letter says, Dear Mr. Sanborn, thank you for remembering me at Christmas. I'm flattered you talk about me in your speeches and seminars. I hope I can continue to provide exceptional service. Sincerely, Fred the Postman. Now, fast forward the tape. I met Darla in 1995. We got married, when we were expecting Hunter, we moved down to Highlands Ranch where we still live today. But for almost 10 years, Fred Shea delivered my mail and then Darla's mail. And even if you had read the book, there's two things you wouldn't know. Number one, Fred had been an employee of the United States Postal Service for 27 years when the book came out and had never been recognized by his employer. His coworkers knew he was amazing, his customers loved him, but nobody in management noticed. And it's a good reminder to all of us, myself included, if you want to have more Freds in your life, pay attention to the Freds you've already got. Because we get so preoccupied with what's wrong and who's doing it wrong that we miss the good work that others do. You can't overappreciate people as long as it's sincere. If you try to overappreciate them, that's manipulation if you have an ulterior motive. But you can't sincerely overappreciate. Second thing that uh, you wouldn't know is that I never realized why Fred did what he did. I didn't know what his motivation was. And in the end of the book, I, I asked him, there were, uh, there's a chapter called The Spirit of Fred. I said, Fred, what motivates you? And he talks about six things. And my favorite line in the whole book, Fred said, I lay in bed at the end of the day, I only worry about one thing. And that's pretty good because I worry about a lot of stuff, unfortunately. Fred said, the only thing I worry about is did I waste any of the day I just finished? Did I waste any of the day I just finished? My, my favorite idea, and in all my years of speaking and writing, I can boil down to this one idea, fear nothing but to waste the present moment. Because if you take care of the moments, the moments become your life. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a man or woman fully alive. And that's the kind of person who is truly in the moment, not projecting forward or looking around to see who or what's more important. It's about being in the moment. I was so impressed by Fred that I wrote a book about him. Uh, the Fred uh, Factor book went on to sell about 2 million copies. It's, it's been my most successful book, not because of my Hemingway-like prose, uh, but because it was about a guy doing an ordinary job, an ordinary human being who chose to be extraordinary. And that's why I said, nobody can prevent you from choosing to be extraordinary. God calls us to be extraordinary. 
God says that we are difference makers. We're called to be difference makers. And in the time that I have left with you today, I want to talk about the four principles of the Fred Factor that apply to us as Christians. And I'm going to, I'm going to share the end of the story in advance. I'm going to foreshadow. Yes, Fred Shea is a believer. When I wrote the book, I had to be, there's actually two versions of the book. There was a Christian version, but the best-selling version was the secular version. And Jamie and I talked about it because everything in the book, to the best of my ability, was biblical. I just didn't hang a scripture on it. You know, truth is truth. You may not believe in gravity, but if you step off a third-story balcony, you will find that it is true. And how you live your life, you will find that biblically what we have been taught is true. And the first thing in the story of Fred that I want to impress upon you today is Fred is proof that everybody makes a difference. And the only question is what kind. There's no neutrality. You know, growing up we went to uh, schools and we were in sports or the military where we were told you can make a difference. And I think that's just not quite right. I think everybody does make a difference. They either add to or take away. They move the ball down the field, they take a loss. There's no neutrality, maybe philosophically, but not practically. If you're in a store and you meet someone who refuses to engage and help you, do you turn to your spouse and say, oh honey, they're just neutral? No, you say they're indifferent. When we refuse to engage and notice people, they feel we're being indifferent. And I think this is so important because kids often grow up not knowing they make a difference, not knowing they can or do make a difference. And that's one of the jobs of parenting is, is to show the people that, y your sons and daughters, your friends, your colleagues, the people at work, that what they do matters. Martin Luther King said, if a man sweeps streets, let him sweep streets as Michelangelo painted or as Mozart composed. Let him sweep streets in such a way that all the hosts of heaven would look down and say, there lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Bob Briner wrote one of my favorite books called Roaring Lambs. It's out of print. He was a professional sports broadcaster, had his own network, ProServe Tennis. And one of the premises of his book, Roaring Lambs, there were six tenants, the people he said would make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God. And there was two I want to point out to you today. Number one, they would never be on the payroll of a paraministry or ministry because when people are on payrolls, people immediately begin to wonder about their motivations. I'm not saying that should be that way, but that's typically how culture responds. But my favorite part is he said the men or women who make the biggest impact will be those who create interest because of their competence and class in what they do. To be so good at what you do, people go, I don't know why, I don't know how, but man, what has he or she got? And that's what it is, number one, to be a difference maker. Everybody makes a difference. Number two, it's all built on relationship. By the way, there's two things in life they don't teach us. Number one, they don't teach us how to raise kids by the time we know how too late. Second thing they don't teach us is relationship building. Unless you took premarital counseling from your pastor or another person, you probably have never had any formal relationship building tools, and yet every company in America says they want their employees to build relationships with customers. Don't ever ask people to do something they haven't been taught to do or can't do. And relationship is key. I want to give you some statistics. My friend Barry McGuire has a, a ministry called Church Outside the Walls. Uh, Barry is the president of McGuire's Car Care Products, probably the most connected car guy in, in the world. My son Hunter and I both really love cars. Here's some statistics. Only 2% of people who go to church invite a friend in a year, one out of 50. But 70-80% of people surveyed say they would go if invited. One out of 50 invite, and yet 70-80 to 80 said they would go 
if invited. 87% of the people not in church have at least one close friend who is a Christian. By the way, when I, I, I texted Barry to get that data to make sure I had it right, Gary said, Gary, uh, Barry said, make sure you tell him it's not inviting them to church, it's sharing your faith that gets them to go to church. You know, he really put the emphasis on it. See, and by the way, better to invite and let, and let Pastor Brett explain the, the truth and, and, and salvation, but really sharing your faith is the step to getting him to come to church. So I'm in Canada. When we launched the Fred Factor, I did a book tour in Canada, and I met a guy named Greg Paul. Greg Paul, uh, for the last 40 years, has played in a blues band in downtown Toronto, but he has a ministry on Queen's Street called Sanctuary. Queen Street, if you've never been to Toronto, is like uh, Skid Row, Bourbon Street, uh, all rolled into one. It, it's a tough, gritty street. Yeah, there's a lot of entertainment peripherally, but there's a, a lot of sex trafficking, there's a lot of drugs, and at the time there were a, a, a lot of AIDS patients who were literally dying in their apartments or in the streets. And, and Greg would talk about something that I never met many Christians that had done before, and that is going in and, and cleaning up the AIDS patients and bringing them food and sitting with them. And, and I was blown away, and I said, Greg, how do you reach the the transgendered and, and the homosexual with AIDS and the criminal and the drug addicted and the lost, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Mark, we have found that generally systematic theology does not work. He said, we reach them through relationship. And as simple as that is, it's one of the hardest things that we're called to do. Relationships are tough. Relationships are difficult, and most of us play it safe, especially when it comes to the relationships we have with our, our fellow believers as well as those people who don't believe. Number two, it's, uh, it's all built on relationship. Number three, Fred proved that you can add value without spending a penny to do it. I always tell clients, the quicker you throw money at a problem, the less likely it's the best solution. You should outthink rather than outspend your competition. My friend uh, Matt Messina is now on the staff at Ohio State University, but he had his own dental practice for many years. And what they found is a lot of their older patients would come in for a teeth cleaning, and because of their age, they didn't have living friends or relatives to celebrate their birthday. So if they came in any time near their birthday, they inventoried birthday supplies in the storeroom, and they would throw an impromptu birthday party for their older patients. Now what's cool about that isn't just that they did that, but what they found is the older patients started scheduling their teeth cleanings <laughs> on their birthdays. Let me tell you what the killer app is for uh, 2022 and beyond. It's free. It's available to anybody. It's the killer app. It's called Thoughtfulness. And it's hard to be thoughtful when you're doing 100 miles an hour with your hair on fire. We live in a culture that thinks we've got to run scared. No, we've got to run fast, but we never need to run scared. God says, don't be anxious about anything. Run fast, work hard, do a good job, but don't be scared. And when you're going too fast, I was getting off an airplane. Just because I talk about this stuff, trust me, doesn't mean I've mastered it. I'm learning every day. I get off an airplane, and there was a young woman pushing somebody in one of those, those airline wheelchairs up the ramp, and where the, the ramp comes together, the, 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 the feeder ramp, there were like uh, little steel ledges, you know. So, and she was a tiny little thing, and she couldn't get the wheelchair over that that obstruction and I remember thinking wow you know what who gets a job pushing a wheelchair if they aren't strong enough to push the wheelchair and I was in a hurry and I I said excuse me and as I went around the guy behind me said ma'am can I help see that's what happens when you move too fast you miss those opportunities I saw an obstacle he saw an opportunity 
I saw an impediment. He saw a chance to, to add value. What do you do? I, I think today in our, our culture, we add value to people just by noticing them. There's two big needs we all have to be noticed and to be known. Those are the two fundamental needs in psychology. Everything is built on that. And yet so often we multitask. You know, when you're on the phone with somebody, you can tell when they're doing email or something different or you're at a party and you're talking to somebody, but they really would rather be talking to somebody else they're looking at over in the corner. Um, it's a Zen practice, but you know, it's also a Christian behavior. Wherever you're at, be there. And it's so hard to be not distracted. You know, a research shows that if you have a cell phone out, even if nobody uses it, you have a cell phone out at the dinner table, it decreases the interaction of the people at the table, even if nobody picks it up. I find that fascinating. What do you do to add value? Martin, one of the great self-help writers, I have a, a, many of his books that he wrote. He said, it became my goal in life to, to be of service and encouragement and to increase the value of every person I met. And I thought, what a cool goal. Not to make as much money as I could or get as big an advance or a, a promotion. It was just to encourage and to increase the value of everybody he met. See, I wish my, my friend John Maxwell said it. I wish I'd have said it so he'd have to quote me. But John said, when you value people, you add value to people. When you value people, you add value to people. And you value them by giving them their, your attention, by, by taking an interest. By the way, the, the number one disqualifier in my work with leaders over the years has been leaders who just genuinely weren't interested in the people they led. They were skilled at everything else except they just genuinely did not take an interest in their people. And it didn't mean they were bad people, but it meant they were terrible leaders. Yeah. I mean, because you can't fake that. People know if you're interested or, or you're not. So it's built on relationship was number two. Number three, you can add value. And number four, you can reinvent yourself every day. We call it spiritual renewal. Oh, by the way, I, I, I skipped over a scripture I love. 2 Corinthians 6.1. It says, as God's fellow workers, do you know what makes Christianity unique among many things? In most religions, you cannot refer to God in any kind of a personal sense without being blasphemous. And yet, as St. Augustine said, without God, man cannot, without Man, God will not. He invites us as co-creators. We're co-creators with the creator of the universe. He doesn't make us. He invites us into that. And when it comes to relationship, Christ said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, for servants do not know their father's business. I call you friend. I said to Fred, I said, how do you give great, such great service to all the customers you meet every day? And he said, oh, I don't think I'm his customers. I just think I'm his friends. And it's easy to be nice to your friends. Isn't it interesting that uh, truth transcends environment, whether it's church or a postal route, at work or at home? God invites us into relationship. I, I wasn't necessarily going to include this, but one of my favorite scriptures, everybody knows because it's the shortest scripture in the Bible. It's the scripture, Jesus wept. It's because he was met on the road to go see his friend Zacharias. Zacharias had died. He was dead. They told him, and Jesus wept. You know why I love that scripture? Jesus knew he was going to raise him. Jesus knew there was hope. Well, why did he weep? If he knew the end of the story, why did he weep? Because it was the appropriate thing you do when someone dies. You know, and sometimes we get caught up in this happy talk. Well, you know, God wanted them in heaven more than they, He wanted them to be here with you. If you ever say that to a parent, 
or a grieving person, bite your tongue. It's true. God is sovereign. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow or, or, or make happen. And yet, the appropriate thing to do is to be in relationship, the appropriate emotion. It, it's hard. It's hard for me. I grew up in a very left brain family, kind of spocky, and my wife is, is very emotional. Together, we make a complete brain. Number two, it's about relationship. Number three, you can add value. Number four, you've got to reinvent yourself every day. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Well, I don't know about you, but I tend to go back and forth between the old room and the new room. It's kind of a, a door that opens easily. See, I mean, you know, sometimes people say, you know, you're just a... a, a a sinner saved by grace. And that's true. But you know what the bigger message is? We are saints who forget we're saints and still sin. One is kind of a power down. Well, you're a worthless punk of clay, but thank you, Jesus. I was saved by grace. True, true theology. God saved us not to do, not, not because of good works, but for good works. That's the thing about being a co-creator. God saved us for good works. We are not saved by good works, which is, again, another very common conception. You know, when Muslims die, they don't know if they're going to make it into paradise or not. They've got to wait till they get there and get a final report card. And yet we're assured. So how do you reinvent yourself every day? You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror. If you said, today I'm going to change the world, you would alarm your spouse. Doesn't that sound kind of grandiose? Today I'm going to change the world, because that sounds like you're going to solve world hunger or eliminate domestic violence. And yet... What, what I want to remind you today is you change the world every day in little ways. How you interact with your spouse in the first few minutes of the morning. Whether or not you let somebody merge on the way to work. Or whether they let you merge. And then you get to work. And people ask you and you ask them the most superficial question in the world. What is it? How you doing? How you doing? Sometimes somebody says, how you doing? Say, going to be dead by noon. And you know what they'll say? Have a good one. See, the tragedy isn't that we ask how you doing and don't mean it every time because it's a greeting. The tragedy is we ask how are you doing and rarely ever mean it. What are you going to do to stay fresh? And, and Christ is the ultimate source of renewal even when times are good or bad or in between. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our joy, but he shouts to us in our pain that pain is the megaphone God uses to rouse a sleepy world. I can vouch for that. I've got the t-shirt, don't you? Things are going well. We don't need God until we do. And then we realize it's because things aren't going so well. You've got to reinvent yourself every day. So where does that bring us? Jamie, you're right. I'm going to tell one hunter story. I apologize in advance to my son, but it's a good one. So you, you won't be embarrassed. Well, maybe a little bit. But. I was walking hunter into kindergarten. One day holding his little hand, is funny, you know, he's a big galoot now, but back then I can remember like it was yesterday, a little tiny guy walking in, and Hunter says, hey, Dad, what's the most important thing? And I'm like, that's my son, he wants to excel in kindergarten. He's a winner. So I stopped because psychiatrists call this, or psychologists call it the teachable moment, you know, when you have an opportunity to teach it. So I, I stopped, and I said, Hunter, three things. By the way, I apologize. It's just how I think. It's, it's sick, but it's true. I'm a speaker. So I said three things. I said, number one, I said, mind the teacher. I said, number two, play nicely with the other children. 
And to be honest, I didn't have a third one. I had to pull something out of my ear and I say, and study hard. <laughs> is studying even an option in kindergarten? Is that even, no, that's not even possible. They don't study anything. But here's the great part. Hunter folds his arms, looks up at me and says, Dad, that's not the most important thing. And now I know I'm being asked a rhetorical question by a five-year-old. I said, okay, hon, I'll bite. What's the most important thing? And as I stand here today, he said, love is dead. Love is the most important thing. Great theology. Ground, root, rock, solid theology. You know, there's three loves, I think, it, to be successful to live a, a, a life, a full life, an abundant life. I've come to call it the three loves. And the first love, if you want to live fully, is to love what you do. Whatever you do, whether you're a pilot or whether you're a nurse or a lawyer or uh, whatever you do, just love what you do. By the way, you love it not when it's easy, you love it when it's hard. You enjoy it when it's easy. But you love it when it's hard. I've been to enough retirement parties. People don't talk with, with pride about the easy stuff they accomplished. They talk about the stuff that almost brought them to their end, took them to their knees. That's what you love. You love what you do. You love who, we, who you do it with. The people around you at work, the people around you here at the church, like Hunter says, you just love them. By the way, that doesn't mean you have to condone everything they do. Uh, you know, uh, Briner also said, remember, it is our job not just to protest, but to proclaim. I think sometimes we, we're afraid to love people because they'll take it the wrong way and think we condone of a lifestyle that we don't. But until you love somebody, they have no reason to change. Love is the bridge that has to precede change. You got to love what you do. Uh, you got to love who you do it with. And finally, you got to love who you do it for, whether that's a customer or a colleague, uh, a son or a daughter. You got to love who you do it for. You know, in the United States, we get a lot, of a lot of flack from other nations in the world. But I'll tell you one thing that sets this country apart. We love our enemies. When there's a tragedy in a part of the world where people disagree with us and would love to see our demise, we're the first responders to send troops or to send food or to send relief. And that's what I call love and work clothes. Most people think love is super sweet or saccharine or sugary. Love is a commitment to treat people with the dignity and respect God gave them, whether we agree with them or not, regardless of how they make us feel or how we make them feel. John 10, 10, how do you live a, an abundant life? Fred is a believer. Ultimately, what undergirds his wanting to build relationships and make a positive difference and, and create value and what keeps him enthusiastic every day is loving what he does and who he does it with and who he does it for. And ladies and gentlemen, whether or not you ever read my book or even if you had never heard me speak before, if you love those three things, I can tell you, you're already a Fred. Thank you. Godspeed.